Kirby's, we want to start by thanking our Patreon subscribers. We will always offer the show for free, but for those of you who recognize that there's a cost to putting it on and support Bell Curve, we want to especially thank you today. Today's topic is presidents, and I have to do something really special at this point that I have been thinking about. I am going to dedicate this show to my high school history and civics teacher. He was a fantastic teacher and he taught me so much and just put me on a path of loving this type of a topic that we're taking on today. So Mr. Threadgill, who passed away in 2015, thank you very much for pouring yourself into your students, especially me at Fairhope High School. Uh, That was so sweet, Mary Scott. (laughs) I love that. Oh, thank you. He was a great teacher. So we are celebrating President's Day, and with a primary election in high gear, we thought it would be interesting to talk about the American presidency. And for you Curvies who love politics, today's show may be a little more history and civics than you like, and we aren't going to delve too much into the current political landscape. Cue scary music. (laughs) So I want to give just a little background. American presidents today are obviously very powerful. And that's really because the United States is the world's largest economy. The president of the United States is often called the POTUS and is the head of the executive branch of our government and the commander in chief of the armed forces. So ladies, your civics lesson, which article of the constitution of our constitution makes all this so? Three, we want to say it at the same time? I assume you know, Rachel. <laughs> don't assume I know. I don't. It's the, it's the second article, right? Yes, very Yay. good. It's Article 2 of the Constitution. Uh, establishes the power to appoint judges, make treaties with the advice and consent of the Senate, grant federal pardons, and to convene and adjourn either or both houses of Congress under extraordinary circumstances, a power that presidents have all used. The president directs foreign and domestic policy. The president can sign or veto federal legislation. Now, little brief talk about the Electoral College, because we're every four years we get a, a civics lesson in the Electoral College. We're about to get another one. That through the Electoral College, registered voters indirectly elect the president and vice president to a four-year term. It's not a popular election. This is the only federal election in the United States which is not decided by popular vote. Nine presidents became president by virtue of a president's death or resignation. Uh, Andrew Johnson in 1868 was impeached and acquitted. Nixon resigned before being impeached. Clinton, like Trump, was impeached and acquitted. So we have four examples of the kind of situation that we just came through. Like that number of nine vice presidents becoming president seems really low to me. It seems it feels like there are more with as much pomp and circumstance as there is around the vice presidency. You would you would think that there had been more than that. You would think, but that is that is the case. We've only had nine who have ascended. There are three qualifications for holding the presidency. You have to be a natural-born U.S. citizen, at least 35 years of age, and residency in the United States for at least 14 years. I think that came up with McCain because he was born on a military base 
outside of the United States of America. So that had to be addressed uh, when he was running for president. The 22nd Amendment states that no person who has been elected to two presidential terms may be elected to a third. So that came in an amendment after the original articles in the Constitution were drafted. In all, 44 individuals have served 45 presidencies, spanning 57 full four-year terms. So this is interesting. One president served two non-consecutive terms, so he is counted twice as both the 22nd and the 24th president, and that is Grover Cleveland. Donald Trump is the 45th and current president of the United States, of course. Over time, the presidency has become much more powerful, more powerful than the founders probably envisioned. Critics of this expansion of power of the presidency say that the modern presidency, today's presidency, may be too unchecked and unbalanced. And if the founders were alive today, they might say it looks too much like the monarchy that they broke away from in 1776 in the revolution. And if you're interested in that topic, Go and read a book that was recommended to me by Mr. Threadgill in high school, The Imperial Presidency by Arthur M. Schlesinger. It's an oldie but a goodie. It was written in the 1960s and then re-released in 2004. We will provide a link to it in our show notes. You can still get it on Amazon. Amazing. I read that book in high school, and it traces the growth of presidential power over two centuries from George Washington to George W. Bush, examining how it has both served and harmed the Constitution and what American Americans can do about it today. So with that civics lesson in mind, let's take a quick break for a commercial. Hey, everyone, Rachel popping in with a quick question. Are you a business owner or part of a marketing team struggling to create content that your customers will notice? Are you tired of spending precious time writing blog posts or email newsletters that your target audience doesn't read? Maybe it's time to consider creating a podcast. There has been explosive growth of people tuning into podcasts. According to Edison Research, nearly one out of every three people listen to at least one podcast a month. And it's not just young people. There's been a sharp increase in podcast listeners over the age of 55. More than half of all Americans say they have listened to a podcast. People like podcasts, and it's fun to make a podcast. But I didn't say it was easy to make a podcast. That is where I can help you. Lots of podcasts fade away because they're time consuming and technical to produce and you probably don't have time to make one, which is why my firm is offering a limited number of turnkey branded podcasts for businesses like yours. I can handle everything from the logo to the theme music to the recording, editing, mixing, distribution, you name it. So all you have to do is really the fun part. Show up from the comfort of your office and share your expertise with the world. Please reach out to me for more info. You can find me on Facebook at Rachel Blackman Briars or at briarscommunications.com. That's Briars, B-R-Y-A-R-S, communications.com. All right, ladies. So who is your favorite and least favorite president whose presidency was previous to your lifetime? Well, as somebody who just did my taxes, my least favorite president is Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> Not least because he introduced the income tax. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty bad. Woodrow. He was also real racist and resegregated a lot of the federal government and did a whole lot bunch of other stuff that I find very morally objectionable. But so he's number one in the on the poo-poo list. <laughs> 
Oh, poor Woodrow Wilson. Wasn't he the United Nations guy? Yeah, he was during World War One. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Didn't he? I read a book about him and the United Nations and his plan to rebuild after. If actually, one thing you might like about Woodrow Wilson is that if we had followed his plan after World War One, we possibly could have averted World War Two. But nevertheless, he also increased. He also introduced the income tax. So, bad, bad President Wilson. Well, as far as favorite ones, I mean, I really do like so many, but I'd say my two favorites before my lifetime are Abraham Lincoln and Theodore Roosevelt. And part of what I just love about both of them is that they were true underdogs who little by little through persistence and hard work and not giving up became so much more than what people expected of them. For example, and this is coming from 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. He writes about how Theodore Roosevelt was very well known, of course, for being active. He boxed and did judo. He liked to hike. He rode horses. He was a cowboy, an explorer, you know, a big game hunter. Once when he was getting ready to give a speech, he was the victim of an assassination attempt. But instead of going straight to the hospital, he really made a fuss to go ahead and deliver his one-hour speech with a broken rib. And he was bleeding, wasn't he? He had a bullet in his chest. He had a broken rib. So he's really known for being super tough. But when he was a kid, you know, he was sickly. He had asthma that was debilitating. He was really thin. He had bad eyesight. His parents weren't even sure if he would live very long. Roosevelt's dad told him when he was 12 you have the mind, but you don't have the body. And without the help of the body, the mind cannot go as far as it should. You must make the body. And so that's really what Roosevelt did. He focused on developing his body in tandem with his mind, trying to improve both of them every day. He lifted weights. He read books. He incrementally grew into one of our greatest presidents. And they say that when he died in his sleep, when they took him from the bed, there was still a book under his pillow. Well, let me let me interject there because I almost named him as my pre- as my favorite too. I didn't, and we'll get to that in a second after we get to your second favorite, Rachel. But there is a great book about Theodore Roosevelt called River of Doubt. I, I had no idea about this, but after he was president of the United States, after he ran on a third party ticket, Bull Moose Party, some people might remember that in their in their American history lessons. He just still had this drive to do things that others go places others hadn't gone. And he decided to take an expedition in the Amazon. At that time, the Amazon was still very unexplored. And he took an expedition. And if you didn't know, if you didn't know that he survived it along with his son, you would think they're going to all die because everything wrong happened. They didn't pack the right equipment. They had the wrong canoes. The, the, the river, it was called the River of Doubt, that was a tributary of the Amazon. It was full of these waterfalls and rocky areas. And so their canoes sank. They they couldn't traverse them. He got he got an infection and uh, had to be carried. I mean, it was it was everybody starved to death practically. But his the the will of this man and the mind over the body it, it it's just tremendous. River of Doubt is a great book about that particular president. Who's your second favorite, Rachel? Uh, I you know to me Abraham Lincoln is another one of those underdogs who I, I don't think many people might know that back when he was. In the military, he was actually demoted because he was so ineffective as a military. What? Yes, he was. I don't know what rank he went from, but he was demoted. 
And so for him to sort of not be a natural leader, to sort of be, I just get this picture of him as being awkward in that space, to then ascend to being one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Again, I just like that idea of us being able to improve ourselves and get to a point where we are very effective because we have overcome other people's expectations of us. And, you know, he also was obviously an introvert. He had a property that was, it was outside of the White House where he used to go and just think and try to process and work. So I like that idea too of him. He was the man for his time, but he just wasn't what you would think of as a natural charismatic leader. I truly believe that had he not been assassinated and had Grant not become the president, Grant was a not a great unifying president. He was a wartime president, but unlike Eisenhower after World War II, Grant Grant history tends to say that he still had a vendetta and he he didn't really become the president. He was still the leader of an army. And I think that the country did not unify under President Grant and and President Lincoln would have unified the country, I think. And I think one of the greatest greatest tragedies our country has ever faced ever, ever, ever was the assassination of of President Lincoln. Unlike, I mean, assassinations are always terrible, always, uh, and countries change because of them. But unlike maybe the assassination of JFK, I, I just, I think that particular assassination, that one really changed the direction of our country in a profound and not a positive way. It was Grant who was drunk like all the time, right? <laughs> and Jackson. <laughs> It's hard to get much done if you're drunk all the time. <laughs> yeah, so many of these presidents had like serious flaws. I mean, you asked who our least favorite presidents are. And I mean, gosh, several ineffective ones come to mind for me. I mean, Herbert Hoover was known as a bad communicator who fueled trade wars and exacerbated the Great Depression. Warren Harding's administration is best remembered for corruption and scandals. I don't like Jimmy Carter. He seems weak. I don't like FDR. <laughs> And of course, there are presidents in my lifetime I do and don't like, but you asked before our lifetime. It's good to remember kind of the deep history and not, we get very caught up and it's easy to do now. And I'm sure all of us are watching what's been going on and with a, you know, with a primary on, it's easy to get fixated on what and think that what's going on now is so unique. Mm -hmm. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not unique. Yeah. We, humans are the same way throughout history from the beginning of time. And there's been corruption and there's been charismatic presidents and there's been presidents who have done great and wonderful things and terrible things. So I think it's important to remember that. I, I Echoing what you said, Rachel, it's it's tough for me to say this is my favorite president because everybody is so flawed. And I think at some level, it's hard to rise to that level of power and influence without taking some moral shortcuts in some ways, you know, I would, if you had asked me five to 10 years ago, I would have without hesitation said Thomas Jefferson. But as you, as we learn more about, you know, the way that he kept his slaves, even though he thought that it was morally repugnant, you know, that's, that's the kind of moral shortcut that we find really, really distasteful now for so many reasons. But then look at all the wonderful things he did. Look at, at, at if without him, we probably wouldn't have the Declaration of Independence. A lot of states wouldn't have their bills of rights. So 
how do you weigh those good with the bad? Yeah, FDR did a whole lot of repugnant things as well. But he also did a lot of things that make our country and make our federal government in particular what they are today. There's just so much to good and bad to balance against each other. And sometimes I, I feel like we have a difficult time parsing those things out and appreciating the good and saying that it, we don't agree with the bad. And it's, it tends to be along, and I don't want to make this a political show at all, but it tends to be along political sides, who we identify with. Right. Things that, you know, one party's president does, we the other party would point to that and say, that's bad, 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 bad. But if your own president does it or your own party member does it, then kind we of have a tendency to like, say, well, that's how things are done. So, yeah. you well, know, it's, and- I mean, that's human. You're, we're, we're, that's. You know, I I have to give everyone a pass on that sometimes because that's, you know, you have a team and you play on a team and all that. But you're right. It is important not to ignore the moral shortcomings. You know, for example, Jefferson, I do think we can appreciate what he did, establishing colleges, the learning, the partnership with France, heck, the nation's largest land purchase ever, the Louisiana Purchase. I mean, these are these are things that we can we can say, wow, that was great. But then, you know, his history with Sally Hemings and slavery, I mean, that's that's morally repugnant. And there's just no two ways about it. Well, in George Washington, I mean, President's Day used to be George Washington Day. I mean, he probably, and in fact, even the idea of the two-term presidency, that was put into our Constitution, but he was the one who voluntarily said, Did it. this needs to be just for two terms. And just the humility, you know, he could have established the presidency to be almost like a monarchy, but he really led the way. And I think he's one of those true leaders that we look back and say, this is just an extraordinary person who will never be replicated, probably. But you're right. Like he had slaves. You're right, Liz. It's hard to look back and say that anybody was perfect. But I think George Washington rises as somebody who was probably near perfect as a a leader. And we were lucky to have him at the time he came along. Yes. All right. So favorites on favorites and least favorites on on the Mary Scott Hunter list. I want to say that Mr. Threadgill, when I was in high school, asked us to rank the presidents from our favorite to our least favorite and write up a little blurb about why. And My favorites have changed over the years, but my least favorite has not. So my least favorite is Andrew Jackson. And the reason for that is that I find the Trail of Tears for whatever reason, and there's a lot of pitiful events in, in our history, there's there's no question that there's been no shortage of pitiful events. But for some reason, that image of people being uprooted from their homes, their homes that were in North Carolina and Tennessee and on the East Coast where things were green and there were hills and there was water flowing and, and, and that image of them walking west to a dry, dusty place that they didn't even know how to live in. You know, and these are our country. This is our country's native people. Uh, there's just something so pitiful about that. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, I really think that the presidency. I, I appreciate Ronald Reagan never taking his jacket off in the Oval Office. I think the presidency is a very de- decorous, serious thing. And you know, the the reputation that Jackson had for for parties and for raucous behavior, and you know, the kind of 
thing that he brought to the White House. I just find that very distasteful and and the trail of tears especially i just that image for whatever reason that image is powerful to me and so it has not changed that i don't care for him not to say that he didn't have you know he didn't do some really important things he was a wartime hero he did some important things for our country but yes he's definitely definitely the least but my current favorite president who used to not rank very high is LBJ. And Lyndon Johnson did so much for space. Y'all know that I'm kind of a space nerd. I love all things space. I watched Star Trek with my dad. I love Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers. I read Popular Science. I I love all things space. I love space history. I love space fiction. And LBJ, I always think of Kennedy as the space president. You know, we're going to the moon, not because it's easy, because it's hard. It's hard. You know that his famous <laughs> it's a great Boston University. <laughs> no, it's hard. <laughs> And working on that. But LBJ, after Kennedy was assassinated, for, for Kennedy, space may or may not have been a, a heartfelt thing. For for Kennedy, it, it very much was a political move. And I think he's he I think he felt it. I think he wanted to support it, but definitely for LBJ. He was interested in the science. It, it caught him. It got him by the heartstrings. And he was satisfied not to be remembered as the president who really made it happen. Now, while Kennedy set the vision, it was Johnson who was the master of the Senate and went around and got the money and cajoled, strong arm, did whatever he needed to do to get senators and house members on board with him. He understood that if we spread and sprinkled space flight centers and NASA work around the country, especially in the South, that engineers and scientists would flock to those places. So, and that would raise the economy of the South and would bring, I mean, he was really very much a forward thinking president in that way. And I didn't know that about him. I just listened to a podcast called Moonrise. I finished it. And I, I was struck by that. I don't particularly care for LBJ because I don't like his handling of the war, you know, linebacker campaign and court, you know, he was not a, a, a great wartime president. And he, and 1968 was a terrible year in our country's history. It was you know, assassinations and race riots. And he's largely remembered for being a part of that and not being able to avert it, not being able to unify the country. But he did take that vision that Kennedy set and he, he set about getting it done, and he was satisfied to use Kennedy's legacy as kind of the the impetus. Oh, you're not going to fund the 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 legacy of our of our deceased president. You know, he would he would use that, which is maybe distasteful to some, but that also tells me that he was satisfied with not getting the credit. He did not. He does not historically get the credit for the moon landing in, in 69. He does not get the, the credit for the early Apollo missions and Mercury and Gemini. And um, and it is pronounced Gemini, by the way, not Gemini. But anyway, I I have learned some things about him that I didn't know. And I, I'm glad to know that. And so he's kind of percolated to the top as a favorite right now. But I also love Lincoln, Rachel, and um, I think I think I'll probably wind up going back to him as my favorite. Lincoln was a great one. I like Eisenhower. I just because of the era, you know. I think he transitioned from being a wartime, a great four-star general of the army to a great president of a. But it was also, you know, of all the presidents, you know, if you want to be a president in a in a great time in American history, it was right after World War II. <laughs> 
Mm. <laughs> he played he played a lot of golf too. <laughs> so, ladies, second question: What about a female president? Are we going to have a female president in our lifetime? Absolutely, we are. <laughs> if you say if you say it with enough enthusiasm, it has to happen, right? <laughs> I think so. I absolutely think we will. I just hope it's not Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I think it's just a matter of the right person running. And then when it happens, it'll be historic and we'll all cheer. But it'll be just like Obama being the first black president. It'll just be like, oh, yeah, of course, we can have a minority president or we can have a female president. I mean, I may look at this aspirationally, seeing through the lens that I want America to be and believe it to be. But I don't think I know y'all might disagree. I don't think there is a great patriarchy keeping everyone else out. I, I am open to the possibility that I'm naive. And I definitely think that there is bias that has real impacts on who is hired and elected and all those things. Um, that is a fact in psychology. And as Liz has said before, some of the bad patterns in society hanging around from older generations aren't going to change until those folks die. <laughs> I don't think anyone my age and younger, though, thinks that it would be all that crazy to have a female president. But if the options continue to be really dreadful and distasteful, uh, I mean, I am first and foremost voting for a great leader. Just because someone is a woman means nothing to me if they are awful or mediocre. So I hope one day we'll be talking about the greatest president of all time and it will be a woman we're talking about. But most of all, I just want what's best for America, male or female. Well, I think what is important about this conversation is that someday, and I hope it's not too distant, somebody's going to listen to this show and think, why were they even asking that? You know, this, this really should be a normalized, not an aspirational, you know, dream of maybe, or, you know, sometime it's, it, it really ought to be normalized and it will, it certainly will. Although I have to say that right now the democratic party has a better chance of electing a, a female president than the Republican party does. The Republican party has lost a lot of ground in the house and the Senate uh, among women. The, the Republican caucus is women among women is shrinking. We have, uh, we went from having 20 something women, you know, two decades ago in the house to, I think we're down to 10 or 12 now. So that's a negative trend. So if, but then again, it only takes one great leader to bubble up and to percolate to the top. So right now I would say we are going to have one, but I would say it's more likely on the Democrat side than the Republican side. If, if you just go by the numbers of women in the House and the, the Republican caucus in the House and the Senate. So for this next little exercise, I am going to say the habit or hobby of this president, and I want to see if you can name the president. This is just getting into a little uh, some fun facts about our, our nation's presidents. So who was a collector of comic books? I'm going to say Ronald Reagan based on his age. President Obama was a collector of oh, comic books. Really? <laughs> I think you'll know this, but yes, he was collector of comic books. So who was a runner? Clinton? No. Uh, it was W, wasn't he? Wasn't yeah, that? it was yeah. George W. Bush. Yeah, he was a runner. Lots of images of him running. And so, Rachel, you'll know this one. Boxer. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, right? Yeah. Swimmer. FDR, maybe? He yes. pool yeah. He's the there. one who put the, who put the pool in the White House, wasn't he? He did put a pool in the White House. Actually, the pool was given to him, given to the White House because he had polio. He also, if you've ever made a trip to the little White House in Warm Springs, Georgia, it is worth the trip. That is where he went to swim and take the water. The water is mineral water, and it's great for people that suffered polio. Um, cockfighting. That sounds like something Andrew Jackson would do. <laughs> totally. <laughs> was that right? Yes. <laughs> 
Just to get another reason why I don't Just a little like animal cruelty on the yeah. side. Yes. Horrible. Uh, skinny dipping? Is this a Lyndon B. Johnson? No, LBJ was not a skinny dipper. That'd be a scary take scene. He pants off, apparently. So. <laughs> no, the skinny dipper was John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, and the son of a previous president. He would go down to the Potomac and take his clothes off and go for a swim. This president's been mentioned today. Who was known for dancing? No clue. President Washington. President Washington was known as a great, and he and um, and Mary Custis, they danced, and that was something that they loved to do together. He also had wooden teeth, but he was a great, poor guy. <laughs> That's what made him such a great dancer, for some reason. <laughs> Who was a bowler? Who installed a bowling, um, bow, bowling lanes in the, in the basement of the White House? Eisenhower? Good guess. It's Nixon. Nixon. Nixon, oh. Nixon loved to bowl. He was a bowler. <laughs> He's even just Nixon bowling. I mean, in the White House. So stamp collecting. Here's a clue. The only unelected president. He was a vice president under Nixon and then became the president when Nixon resigned. Gerald Ford. Ford only unelected president in American history. Horseback rider. I'd say Eisenhower or Reagan. Yeah, because you have that that picture of Reagan uh, riding beside Queen Elizabeth that is so famous. Yes, yes, that's such an awesome picture. And they're both in their English riding gear, and he's sitting so straight, and she has a little scarf on her head. And yes, President Reagan. So two quick, two two more um, crossword puzzles. That was a Bill Clinton thing, wasn't it? That was a Bill Clinton thing. He was a big old Everybody was like, oh, he did an ink pen, so he must be really smart. (laughs) And finally, painting. Who is a painter? There actually are a few painters, but... Well, definitely George W., right? Or he is now. We get a Christmas card every year from... Yes, uh, he is now. Eisenhower was a painter. Knowing, you know, kind of what he went through as a a wartime general and then the president of the United States. And that was how he relaxed and unwound. He was a painter. So it has been a great talk about presidents. And thank you all for indulging me. This is definitely my thing, ladies. March 10 is a Bell Curve Book Club episode. We are doing the book Atomic Habits. Rachel, would you like to give a little blurb about Atomic Habits? Sure. It's a great book. And one of the central ideas of the book that I think kind of sums it up, he said, James Clear says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. So this is a practical book about systems that help us get to our goals. It provides a practical and proven framework for creating and establishing good habits and shedding bad ones. I think you're going to get a lot out of it and join us for that discussion. Thank you all listeners today. We're, we've had a lot of fun talking about presidents of the past. I'm sure all of you out there have predictions on the 2020 elections. And remember, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly throughout our history and among the American presidents, not just today. So make sure you keep some perspective. Connect with Bell Curve on Facebook and Instagram at Bell Curve Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. Please don't forget about Patreon, y'all. There, You can support us there and support the show financially please leave us a review and give us feedback on any of this these platforms it really helps us we appreciate you happy president's day